0: Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your hosts, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. And good morning once again. This is Pastor Mike Barnett from McLeansville Baptist Church and Happy Wednesday. It's the middle of the week, and that means, of course, uh, for many of us tonight, we'll be a gathering of the church, and that's always a wonderful time. Looking forward to that here, and I hope you are as well. I'm just going to get right at it today. I'm having some technical issues in, the, uh, in our equipment, and sort of putting all the radio program together was proving to be quite a challenge. And being this how my uh, my techno guy, Associate Pastor Corey Cantrell, is not here to fix all these problems, I'm going to have to go with a re-air. But I wanted to introduce it today so you'd know if you tuned in and you said, wait a minute, we've heard you guys talk about that before. Well, that's what we're doing. Going back to April 14th of this year, and I'm going to share with you a study discussion that Pastor Corey and I did that we called, How Big is God? And so I'm going to join that and let that be today's broadcast and hopefully get these bugs worked out in the system so we can be back on regularly by tomorrow. Hope you all have a good day and enjoy this broadcast. And thanks for listening.
1: This is Pastor Corey Cantrell alongside Pastor Mike Barnett. Good morning from McLeansville Baptist, and we are excited to join you today on this very special Friday broadcast. Not a Friday fun day broadcast, but I'm really looking forward to diving into the topic that we have today because it's one of those that if you really listen, if you really open your heart to engage in in the discussion of, you're going to leave convicted, you're going to leave in awe, but you're also going to leave encouraged and joyful. We just want you to leave. <laughs> maybe not Maybe not. leave is the best word, but, but it's, it's going to do a lot for you. Who's mowing the yard at 6.30 in the morning? You know what? <laughs> you got to do it when you can. Uh, everybody's schedule's different. Guy probably works third shift job <laughs> or something like that. I, I want to say
0: this, though. Uh, letting you introduce this is showing me how difficult it is to know when my cue to
1: speak is. <laughs> it's very difficult sometimes because you're like, maybe now. Nope, nope. Maybe now. Nope, nope. But... Hey, we're going to
0: master hand and eye signals before it's over.
1: That's right. Either that or just learn how to speak sign language, one of the two.
0: Which would not make for a great radio broadcast. No,
1: it would not. But we are glad that you're here today, and we hope that you enjoyed uh, our special programming last week and in the early part of this week. We were doing a little bit of talking beforehand about the intensity of last week's events all together, from both the radio broadcast to some of the written things that were presented and the emphasis in the church. Last week was a very, very, very involved week, but it was rewarding, especially come Sunday. And then to have the opportunity this week to really focus in on, you know, the, the aftermath of the resurrection. You know, some of the things that could have been in the disciples' heart and in the disciples' mind. And in fact, you spoke a little bit about that um, in a portion of the message Wednesday night, and that's going to kind of, kick off a little bit of our discussion today, if you want to recap that a bit.
0: Well, the premise of this week and the message on Wednesday night was, in a nutshell, how can I have a bigger heart for God? Because like the disciples we've talked about and you're alluding to, um, I have spent time this week trying to think about this. And let me just insert a thought right here. I think that could explain some of the challenges of the week right there, because one thing I noticed early on... I would get drawn into this thing of, oh, you know, the disciples had a lot to think about in this week after Jesus had been crucified and now he's resurrected and appeared. But that must have been really intense for them. And then I would find myself not giving the time to it that I wanted to. Again, there's distractions, right? And it's almost like it's almost like a it's an extremely subtle opposition to trying to do this. That you can't quite put a finger on, but I have felt that this week, and so coming back to it, you know, the disciples must have had some pretty intense thoughts. And as you think through all of that, you're thinking, here at the at the end of it all, I want to be close to God. I want to have a heart for God. I want to have a bigger heart. But I am so easily distracted, or so easily given to my weaknesses. And and the the long and short of it is this: I need a bigger heart for God. And when we observe Jesus going through the Passion Week, we journeyed with Jesus all through the Passion Week, that's something that I think leaps out to us is the heart of Jesus, and we want to be more like that. Wednesday night, I shared some reflections from Psalm 119 and verse 32. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. My conclusion is that my heart for God is too small, and I want to have more of a heart for God like Jesus had. So There were three things that I highlighted about how Jesus had such a huge heart for God. And let me state these and then connect them all. So first of all, I I just pointed out how he lived daily in his purpose to do the will of God. So many scriptures in the Gospels tell about that. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. You know, I I do nothing that he doesn't tell me to do. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. I, I love those passages. And so he lived daily in his purpose to do the will of God. He observed his world through the lens of God's story. That is something we're not very good at doing as, as Christians today. Now, I'm saying that generally. I don't mean that specifically to you or me or any listener. But in general, I don't think Christians do a good job of that. I think we observe our world through the lens of our political persuasions and through the lens of our ideologies and even our theologies, but not theology based upon the real story of God. Right. But Jesus did. Everything was viewed through that lens. And the third thing he did was he saturated his soul with the Word of God. He was very much that, you know, we were just talking about it before we started. 40 days and 40 nights he was in the wilderness tempted of Satan. But he uses the Word of God there. Why? How? Because it was just supernaturally instilled into him as the Son of God? No, but because as a boy, he learned the scriptures, and he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And he was in the temple at the age of 12, astounding the religious leaders because he had grown up like other Jewish boys learning what the Bible says, their scriptures at the time, the Torah and the Pentateuch. Oh. I said that that way on purpose because I thought it would be like a little shout-out to Friday fun day. Oh, <laughs> But anyway, uh, but he learned the scriptures. He lived in them. He meditated in them. He memorized them. Let me ask that question out loud. How much memorization of Scripture do we do these days? And and I got it. On one hand, we've got we've got the Bible on every corner. We've got apps on our phones. We can listen to it. Thank God for that. And perhaps in some ways it's not as now hang with me. It's not as necessary to memorize it as it would have been, say, for someone who didn't have a personal copy of Scripture. But thy thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee tells us the importance of memorizing scripture. Jesus had done all of this. Now, so how do we connect all that, those three things, to a heart that's overflowing with the glory of God because that's ultimately what we're after? Well, the purpose of man, Jesus lived in his purpose, but the purpose of man is to glorify God. I mentioned Wednesday night, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the purpose of man is what? Do you remember?
1: To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever?
0: Yes, very good. You get an A. All right. If this was Friday, Funday, we'd have the applause track on there. But that's that's right. And that was the agreement of those early church fathers that this is the whole purpose of man. We were made to bring glory to Mm -hmm. God. We're image bearers. Well, the lens of God's story is the glory of God in creation and redemption. That's the story God is telling. So all the way back at the beginning when He created the world, it, it is created to testify to his glory, as we're going to talk about today. But the story of redemption, all the way back to rescuing uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, that story is told over and over and over again in the Bible. Why? Because it tells us of the glory of God in the story of redemption. And then thirdly, the scriptures declare for us, along with the creation, the glory of God. But what the scriptures do is they make it they make it more personal, but what I mean by that is they make the scriptures make the glory of God applicable to our human experience. Mm-hmm. Now, the glory of God in the heavens—we're going to read Psalm nineteen. The glory of God in the heavens is applicable to my human experience when I look up and see it. But as Psalm one nineteen is so, or Psalm nineteen is so wonderfully uh, written and and laid out, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. But then you get the Word of God, you know, in that Psalm being
1: explained of how it rejoices the heart of man. It's almost like creation is just saying what it's saying because that's what it was created to do. But the Word of God speaks it directly to my heart.
0: Yeah, of course, the end of Psalm 19 is, is, talks about how, you know, by them is thy servant warned, and the keeping mm-hmm. them is great reward. And he closes with the prayer, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable to thee. So, speaking of Psalm 19, that's where we're going to go and connect these dots. So, Psalm 19, verse 1 through 5 uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Love that verse because it says to me, you know, we've been talking about in the church how we need to get the Bible translated into every language so people have the Scriptures. Every language already has the the the, the declaration of the heavens. And it says in verse 4, their line is gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. The declaration of the heavens is that God is the supreme and glorious master craftsman of the universe. That is what it is saying. These verses, and I didn't read verse six, it kind of closes that out, but these verses are, are basically declaring to us how glorious God is. That's that's the testimony of, of the heavens and the firmament. Now, picture yourself sitting beneath the night sky. You're looking up at the thousands of stars, and you know how that works. You first look up at a clear sky at night, you see like, oh, there's like five stars in the sky. And then you keep looking, and all of a sudden, the sky starts filling up with stars. Mm-hmm. The longer you look, the more you see. Now picture you're there underneath that night sky looking up at the thousands of stars and you ask yourself, what are the heavens saying to me right now? What are they declaring about God's glory? Now if you were to think about that, what is, in other words, the message of the heavens? Now this is important because in a moment I'm going to bring out what has been the message from the pulpits of churches for the last few generations. Compared to when we look up in the heavens, what
1: is the message
0: that they are declaring?
1: For me, when I consider that question, you see the vastness and the magnitude of God. It's so easy when we focus just on our lives to think small scale and lose sight of you know the proverbial big picture. When you look up at the heavens, you can't help but realize that the big picture is even bigger than what you thought the big picture was. You just can't grasp the scope of the awesomeness of God.
0: And I, I think that word awesome or awesomeness lost some of its power yeah. during the '80s, mm-hmm. maybe the '70s too, but certainly when the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rolled around. Yeah. But it really is the right word. Awesome. It is. It is a. It is a declaration of of the all that God. is is and that we should experience in him and from him. When you look up at the heavens who are proclaiming the glory of God and you ask, what are they saying to us? And you're right. I agree with hundred percent what you said. It's clear that they're not offering three points in a poem Mm -hmm. and I'm not knocking structured preaching now, but think about the topics of the preaching that we often get And it seems to be less than what the heavens are saying. I think when you look up at those heavens at night and you see the stars and you see the moon, I think what it is saying to you is see how great God is. See how beautiful God is. See how mysterious God is. See how holy God is. And I believe that is the message of the heavens. Now, what are they asking me to do? When they're declaring their message to me, what are they asking me to do? Put yourself in the shoes of the guy or the, maybe with no shoes, the, the tribesman living in some third world country who looks up and sees the same sky, the same moon, the same stars. And, and he is seeing that. What, is, what are they asking him to do? They're asking him to do the same thing they're asking us to do. Ask why and seek the source. Seek, is a, yes, yes exactly they they they're bringing to the heart the the big questions of what matters most mm-hmm. and when we know then from the scriptures and the testimony of those who have come to know Christ as Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19 continues to flesh out what they're asking me to do is simply just be amazed and worship God yes that's what they're asking. They're saying, God is great. God is holy. You ought to just stand here and be amazed. As a matter of fact, do like us and shut your mouth and just be overwhelmed by what you're seeing.
1: Bask in the glow of his glory.
0: It's an experience. Yes. It is not just sight. It is the experience of the magnitude of
1: God coming into our soul. And it's so liberating because that's not, it's not an action that we do. It's not something that we conjure up. We're just there for it. We, we are a an engaged observer. We are engaged in that we have presented and brought our heart to what all of the rest of creation is doing, and we're just joining in on the celebration of the splendor of God. We present
0: our heart, mm-hmm. but God enlarges our yes. heart by that experience. Yes. It, you cannot really look into the heavens... And expose your heart to that glory and not have your
1: heart enlarged. I love, and I I think you were referencing um, a portion of a message, um, but Wednesday night, I won't quote it exactly verbatim, but my takeaway from it was, you said, "What's what's the purpose of the vastness of the cosmos and all that's out there? It is literally just God's way of saying, look at how great I am. It is God putting himself on display. And when, you know, when, when I heard that and, and, I, and I sat back and thought, you know, it'd be real easy for somebody to erroneously say, boy, isn't that kind of narcissistic of God to do that, just to do this great thing to display his glory. But that's somebody that doesn't know the heart and the loving nature of God, the way that he displays his glory. And it's his way of pouring out his love on everything that he has created. He is so intimately connected with his creation, and it shows he is grand, he is mighty, but he is then intimately involved with the smallest elements of creation. You can't help but love a God like that.
0: You're right, and we will make that point again in a moment, but I would just offer also the thought that what if God did it all just to say, I'm great. Yeah. Because what are you going to say to that? You're yeah. going to say, well, that's awfully prideful of God. Really? We can't accuse God. you. God cannot be prideful. He is everything.
1: Yeah, we, we celebrate people that do that kind of stuff, artists or, or sports figures, different people that kind of have that flamboyant flair. And we'll kind of chuckle like, well, hey, when you're the greatest of all time, you can kind of get away with stuff like that. Who is like unto God? But they're
0: they're not the greatest of all time. Yeah, who, God is. And who so there's is like nobody him? for him to be insecure around or to uh pride, I've I've not thought this out, so I'm kind of just doing this live and in color here. Pride has to have some sort of opposition, I think.
1: Like a prove it yes, nature it to has
0: to be some and there is none that is equal to God. I'm gonna read that in just a moment in the scriptures. Here's the thing, though. We don't want to lose sight of the glory of God. That, that's, what, that's why it's there. Because when we do lose sight of the glory of God, our hearts become filled with lesser things. Mm-hmm. I, I I know the clock's ticking all the time, and we won't get to say everything we want to, but this this makes me have to go to Romans 1. And I, I don't have a lot of time to read the whole chapter, but Romans chapter 1 gives us the warning about this. In the latter part of Romans chapter 1, it says that, in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, you got to understand, it makes it clear, Paul's making it clear, that the knowledge of God is a universal thing. There really are very few true atheists in the world. You almost have to be a fool. Mm-hmm. You almost have to be not have a working capacity to not think that there is a God. And so it says that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And look what they did. Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. And so this is what happens when we lose sight of the glory of God, our our heart and our life begins to fill up with these lesser things, and we begin to major on things that have no value whatsoever, no eternal value and very little temporal Temporary. value. Mm-hmm. And just think about what we hear Christians talk excitedly about, okay? Okay. Let your mind, listener. Let your mind run back over conversations you had at church this week, or conversations you overheard at church this week. And let's, hey, let's think about our own conversations we had. What do we, what do we tend to get real excited about? All right, and we could put a list together. We could talk about the vacations. We could talk about new jobs, new cars, new houses, new spouses. We could talk about uh, uh, sports teams and championships and. And uh, the latest gizmos and gadgets, we get real excited about that stuff. I asked the, in the church Wednesday night, you know, what do people, even people in church, tend to have a big heart for? And this was the list that was given, right? See if, see if I remember. Sports, mm-hmm. Marvel movies, mm-hmm. and food. Yeah. <laughs> and you can add to that whatever the latest I thing is that's come out. So the, that's what we get excited about. But even put it in a religious context, Put it in the church context. What do people get stirred up about? And when you think about it like that, is it the glory of God or is it the glory of men? You know, oh, so and so is going to be preaching. Whoa, hey, I'm going to that meeting. Don't you want to go to that meeting? Why? Why should I? Oh, so and so is preaching. Now, what is that? Where is that coming from? It's coming from a celebration of men, right? And I'm not. I don't want to detract from if they're good, solid Bible preaching, Bible teaching men of God that are helping our soul draw close to God, yeah, I want to go sit and listen to them preach. Mm-hmm. That's the guy I want to go listen to. But that's usually not why people are excited. They're stirred up about preaching that is on the low level of where they're living and what they're excited about.
1: And I've I've met some very good God-fearing men that that they're not giving you the milk of the word. They're giving you strong meat. But they have... They've reached that celebrity status, not by their own doing. And I think it reveals the heart of fallen man. Because even you take something good, something that is honoring God in what it is doing, and fallen man has the natural inclination to make an idol out of it. Like what we read in Romans chapter number one. Yeah. Nothing wrong with four-footed beasts, nothing wrong with any That's that. God created all that stuff. And in its functionality, it's wonderful. But when we put an undue emphasis on it, it's not the item's fault, it's ours.
0: And the only way out of that, the only way to break that cycle, is to get the church looking up yes. again. Let me share a statement that was made by Albert, or it was made about Albert Einstein, that I heard this week in a sermon that I was listening to. It was come, it was written in a journal called First Things, and it was an interview with a guy by the name of Charles Meissner, who was a uh, scientist, a uh, specialist in general relativity theory. And here's what he said about Al- Albert Einstein, who died in 1955. So put that in context, 70, almost 70 years ago. He said, I do see the design of the universe has essentially a religious question. That is, one should have some kind of respect and awe for the whole business. It's very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion, although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined, and they were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is that he simply felt that religions he had run across did not have a proper respect for the author of the universe. And when you read that, you think about, well, number one, you think about our responsibility as preachers, that we're proclaiming something less than the glory of God. Yeah, And we're proclaiming what? We're proclaiming our our heritage our tradition our ministry we're declaring our convictions we're declaring it's our 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 hour right it's what we do what we stand for what we believe you know who we're against right and we're not declaring the glory of god we're declaring the glory of man which is like mud mm-hmm. you know so what i discern from that is that preachers aren't preaching the glory of god but the heavens are declaring the glory of god but we're just not looking up we're looking down Okay, we talked about that the other day. We're all looking into our cell phones all the time. We're all walking around with our head in the proverbial cloud and in the uh, digital cloud, and we're looking at our screens, and the screen time continues to ratchet up, and the number of apps on our phones continues to climb, and we're not looking up. If we're not looking down, we're looking within. I heard the same preacher that was giving this talk about, and this was preached back at the end of the 90s, and he said that he believed that the 20th century was all about had been all about psychology and man trying to look within himself to get the answers to what was wrong with him. And he, he said, I believe the 21st century will be astronomy. He said, I believe that man will begin to look into the heavens because they're going to discover that th- their soul is, is built for something larger than the self. Okay, And they're, they're going to be looking. Mm-hmm. And psychology can't answer the problems. Psychology can't help you prepare for death. I'm not against psychology. I'm very much for psychology. One of the men that I uh, respect a lot and read after, and I, I'll mention from him, is Dallas Willard. He was a professor of psychology, but he was a Christian. He was a, yep. Bible, uh, a Bible man. But psychology doesn't answer the question. What answers the question is what you said about the tribal guy who looks up in the heavens, and nobody's ever preached the gospel to him, but he looks up at that moon and that sun and that stars, and he says, "There, there there's somebody out there. I was made for some purpose. What is it? Mm-hmm. Isaiah 40, verse 25 and 26, To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equaled, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high... And behold, who created these things that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Oh, 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 somebody said, well, what about those stars that are that are blowing up? Do you know, and I don't know a lot about stuff, but do you know why stars are blowing up? Because the universe is expanding, and I think that as it expands, the stars are naturally just being to create space. Now, that's a very simplified elementary, and I'm sure a an astronomer would come an in. an astrophysicist and, somewhere yeah.
1: that's sitting there going, ah. Ah,
0: oh, there goes those <laughs> preachers again. Well, trust me, what I'm trying to say is ultimately God's behind it all. Not one of them is failing. The universe isn't failing. God's got it all. Now, you take with that passage of Isaiah 40 I just read, this great passage from Psalm 147, verse 3 and 5. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars and calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Now, if I can preach to the church and I can say from the same text and in the same breath, the God who made every star, who knows the number of every star, who called them all and and calls them by their name, is the same one who touches your broken heart? Tell me how in the world that the people of God cannot say, God is great. Yeah. But that matters more. That's what they need. That's what we should be preaching. I don't really, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't care what Joe Biden did this week or what Trump did two years ago. It don't matter. Mm-hmm. I don't care. It don't matter. I want to know what God's doing. Yes. And the reason that we are not full of the glory of God and our hearts are not enlarging for God is because we're focused on these unimportant things.
1: And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.